0: Hard! new week and I know that it might be Christmas morning for some of you people we've got top 10s positionally coming out and this is what we really love doing here right the top 100 obviously it that's a great time and you know we, we have so much fun comparing a pitcher to a hitter but this is as apples to apples as we could possibly get. We start with Top 10 Second Basement. Jack Aram, Just Baseball Show, on Monday, February 20th. You know, in, instead of the Garrett Cole to Michael Harris conversation, now it's the Glaber Torres
1: to Brandon Lau conversation. Yeah. And I think those are a bit, like, easier to palette, right? A hundred percent. And the fun part about, about this, too, is – we did have some long conversations about about these rankings and um you know this is the cool part too is you know i'm sure as we go through these you'll hear a little bit of the behind the scenes of you know maybe who was pushing for what and and you know who leaned one way or another because ultimately you know we were willing to to give and take a little bit and and agree on this overall consensus top 10 that involved your you me peter colby olsen and of course our managing editor ryan finkelstein all of us on a call together kind of fleshing all it was a four-hour zoom call yeah way too long um but it was a lot of fun and you know the, the the cool part about this is you kind of have a mixture of all the opinions you also will get a little bit of the background of who was pushing for what and, and if i can remember off the top of my head i'll definitely be like oh yeah that was something that like peter or jack pushed more for or fink or colby um i know with with shortstops when people are going to be surprised about like where Tommy Edmond is, I'm fully putting that on Colby. Like Colby was the biggest Tommy Edmond pusher of all time. Right. Um, so it, it makes it fun though. And, and we really were able to kind of come together and agree on this. So it's always something that can be moved around. And I know people are going to say, Oh, well, you should have had this guy here or that guy there. There's no perfect list, but you know, I, I think we put everything we we possibly could into this in terms of considering what they did last year Weighing slightly less but still weighing what they did the year before that what we think they can do the year coming up whether it's the advanced metrics whether it's just the narrative around the player health was was an interesting point in this and and we'll get to that in each of the top tens um and, and a little bit of everything to try to make the you know most accurate quote unquote list we can or at least what we feel the most strong about in terms of what we've put together here. So I think it should be pretty fun. But at the end of the day, if you disagree, it's all for fun. So we're just having fun with it.
0: 100%. And, and you guys ate this stuff up last year in, in spring training time in the pre regular season and know you guys are going to do it again. Usually what we did is present this on the podcast that would eventually turn into an article and we would clip one by one on the social media channels and push those out. Now we're doing it. Bit of a different way and we're streamlining with you know social media channels and digital and all that we're also streamlining with editorials so one of our editors leo morgenstern wrote this article up he was presented this list and he wrote this up so if you want to follow along go to justbaseball.com and listen as we go through the two honorable mentions and then 10 to one in second baseman. But before that, you said you have an NBA all-star Saturday night takeaway as we were texting last night, you
1: picked Jericho Sims to win the dunk contest. Uh, I did. And I don't know if there was <laughs> I don't know if there was a tougher watch in a while than the one the, the second consecutive elbow in the, the rim dunk. the honey dip and, and then trying to like he was he was shaking as he was trying to open up the, the fifty that he the ripped fifty and he ripped it. It was it was a tough watch. So the the reason I wanted to bring this up, the reason why I bet on Jericho Sims I'm not proud of. I don't go on TikTok very often because our faces pop up too much. Obviously my algorithm is baseball and we do a yeah. lot of baseball on TikTok. So when my face pops up, I close the app out. I just like, it's the end of my day. I'm done working. I just want to scroll through that to clear my head. Oh, there's my dumb face. So this time my face doesn't come up. A Jericho Sims fan page came up. That's it. And, and it was breaking down like all of the reasons why Jericho Sims is going to win. It was like 50 inch vert and like a highlight of him doing this dunk. And a, I was like, you know what? I'm sold. So I went <laughs> over to the betting account and threw 50 on Jericho Sims. Dude. Um, and yeah, I got tricked by a, a Jericho Sims fan account, which the, the very existence of a Jericho Sims fan account should have told me that that, that information was going to be a bit uh biased, maybe a little bit skewed towards you know, pushing the uh, Jericho Sims agenda. I took Kevin Herter to win the three-point contest. I took Jericho Sims to win the dunk contest. And that's why I'm not going to bet on any of that stuff anymore. That said, I want to bring up one point before we get to the top tens. Yeah. I vehemently believe that, like, I don't think it's relatively close. I think that the Home Run Derby is the best all-star event in sports. Yes. For a lot of reasons. The dunk contest used to be awesome, and I still think it was good. Mac McClung saved it to a degree this year, which is crazy to say. They brought a dude up from the G League to save the dunk contest. The home run derby has some of the best stars in the game, and it's still a fun spectacle of seeing how many home runs these guys can hit and how far they go. The dunk contest, like that's a really cool thing to see. But I I mentioned this to you before. It's almost like if MLB brought up Moises Gomez to – Go win the home run derby because he's leading the minor leagues in home runs. Like that would be lame. We've had Shohei Otani, we've had Aaron Judge, we've had Julio Rodriguez last year. We've had some of the game's best stars doing it. Now we've got dunk contests between G Leaguers and 10th guys on the bench. I just want to make this very clear before we go into the top 10. NBA All-Star Weekend was fun. It was it was fine. Nothing compares to MLB's home run derby. And I just want to make that clear, and I don't think anything will until we start seeing some of the game's best stars getting back into the dunk dunk contest. So, yes, absolutely. Uh, Nothing
0: compares to the Home Run Derby, and I think a lot of that is the talent pool. Like, I think we would be putting the dunk contest on the same pedestal if we had Ja and Zion do it in the last couple of years. No-brainer. No-brainer. But, like, the talent pool is not there. But you've got – Aaron Judge and Pete Alonzo and Vlad Jr. and Otani like all the best power hitters in baseball do it I love watching the three-point shootout because we get a lot of the best three-point shooters once they win it they're done like Dame Lillard won it on Saturday night and immediately never said like I'm retired from this contest never again but that competitive fire with those guys knowing that it won't screw anything up right like the dunk contest it's the risk of injury is so much higher than the risk of injury, in the three point shootout. Like you're literally just getting shots up for a minute. And, and it's a pretty good workout. Um, so seeing a dame and a Steph and a clay and like this year a buddy healed who's leading the NBA and made threes and is like a forty three percent shooter and Lowry Mark in it, it's good when you have the talent pool there. Yeah. So honestly, I'd say year over year, since like Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon, it's the three point shootout's down. been better hundred percent. I just wanted to get that out there before we jumped into the top 10 second baseman. Fair. Um, also you chirped me for wanting to watch the NBA all-star game tonight. We're recording before the NBA all-star game.
1: Yeah. I mean, dude, <laughs> I'm good. It, All right. It, it's like, it's like watching. It's like watching. Could you imagine the all-star game for baseball? but they, they only groove it in 75 miles an hour down the dick. Like, that's basically what the all-star game is with, with the yeah. incorporation or lack of thereof of defense. But
0: it's cool to see him jump high. And I, I'm with my brother who's at Santa Clara, so he... Okay, you yeah, know, yeah. We're, now, we're now NBA sentimental Pull the sentimental card on me. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Cool. Um, he, he's also the one that... Uh, I asked him like to name a bunch of Oakland A's and he like went through, I think 10 to 15 and couldn't get a single guy that's like currently on the Oakland A's roster. Um, when he said he won. Yeah. So, um, I, I won't have him do that right now though. I know he's sitting in the other room. Um, all right. Top 10 second baseman.
1: Yeah, let's start honorable mentions
0: yeah the two honorable mentions so 11 and 12 um we've got him as brendan rogers and jonathan india india the 2021 nl rookie of the year was dealing with injury a lot last year was a low 800 ops guy but the counting numbers were good enough to win him rookie of the year he's a fine defensive second baseman
1: yeah i think that's a stretch
0: so it, but it's the bat right the bat carries india uh, I know Taylor Davis, if you listen to the call up, uh, we just did a 2018 redraft and he took India two, which you and I both thought was a bit of a reach, but he made some solid cases. He thinks that honestly, a move to first could be in store for India, but he thinks that the bat plays. Um, obviously the bat's good enough to win him a rookie of the year. Do you think the bat bounces back and do you think he can get better defensively as he's
1: fully healthy? I, well here's the thing I think he's too athletic to put it first for what for what that's worth like I, I'd rather him be in left because he yep. can run he, his arm is strong enough to to get by and left I do. I do wonder how much the injury, you know, was playing a part in the defensive was Because was he ever a great defender once he moved to second base? Like, not, not really. But he was fine in that rookie of the year season. Um, and and more than you know, more than competitive there. I think if he was a fine defender last year, because he was one of the worst defenders at the position. If he was a fine right. defender, he probably cracks this list. And, and I like starting with India here because this is the the case of okay, we got to wait twenty twenty two the most. But you still have to consider 2021, right? This wasn't 10 years ago. This was, you know, a, a year before the last season. So his incredible performance overall, you know, I think what he did in Cincinnati, also his splits were strong. If anything, he was actually better away from Cincinnati. So, you know, that tells you there wasn't just, you know, being a merchant of great American ballpark. Uh, you know, I, I think you can't ignore 2021 and, and what he did. And sophomore slumps are, are very common, as we know. It's why you literally have the term. If he improves the defense a little bit, I expect the bat to get back there. I really think the injury just kind of piled up on him. He only played 103 games ultimately, too. So it wasn't like he was really playing a full body of work here with the season. I think he's back in the top 10 by the end of this year. But I think this this list, you know, is too loaded and he was just too disappointing on both sides of the ball last year. Uh, But I think he gets back in. What do you think? Do you, I think so too because I think
0: that he's a low eight hundred ZOPs guy. I think that we're looking at a one twenty ish WRC plus from India.
1: I I agree. He hits the ball hard, which yep. is important, obviously. Like he's got he's got above average raw power, and it, it, I think he can tap into it in games a little bit more too, which I we saw him do in the past, and it wasn't just great American ballpark to make that very very clear. He's got right. a good approach. His bat to ball skills are fine. Like it's pretty surprising if you look at a lot of the underlying metrics that he was so bad last year. I know he wasn't like he was terrible, but bad for his standards. Um, I, I really think it was injury dependent and, and I'm expecting him to bounce back offensively. I don't know about the glove. If the glove stinks, yep. but he's back to the 120 WRC plus, he's still a top 10 second baseman in baseball. So um, maybe they move him at that point. And I know we we've talked about it on the call up, a lot of infielders coming up in this system, uh, but yeah. you, you cross that bridge when you get there. So when the McLean's and the Elliot de la Cruz's and the Noelvi Martes of the world come up, then, and even Spencer Steer now solidifying a role, that's where you'll probably say, ah, well, India might be the guy to move to left if he keeps struggling. But I'm expecting him to get back in the top 10.
0: 100%. And if he is a 120 WRC plus guy this year, for, for context, there were four second basemen with a 120 WRC plus or higher last year. And all four, we're going to talk about a little bit later on in this episode, three of which at the very end. So that tells you if you hit, you're a top 10 second baseman. Really quick, last question on the India thing, because I honestly don't remember. He was a third baseman at Florida when he was a top 10 overall pick. Was he supposed to play third? Like, Was he drafted as a guy that can stick
1: at third? Yeah, that, that, that was, that was the case for him. Um, And like, that's where they wanted him to play and he was fine there, but the bat didn't really profile as a third baseman. His arm was a little bit stretched and um, you know, they didn't know how much power he was going to hit for. So I think, you know, with when you called the shot on him being rookie of the year after he performed well in camp, that was the spot for him because they they had Suarez at third and they had some other guys. And and they kind of just worked seamlessly of like, he's already stretched in at the hot corner And we got a spot at second for him. And once he went there, I think, you know, the rest was history. But for the most of his the beginning of his professional career, he was predominantly playing third base. And and he even made a couple appearances at shortstop, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, 100%. All right, next honorable mention
0: is Brendan Rodgers. And if you think Brendan Rodgers, you think, I I don't want to say wasted potential, but obviously didn't maximize because that draft was Dansby Swanson 1, Alex Bregman 2, Brendan Rodgers, three, and he was the high school shortstop. And you were thinking, okay, we've got three franchise cornerstone shortstops going one, two, and three over wall. That's not what Brendan Rodgers is anymore. It felt like Trevor Story, when he got his first audition in Colorado, he was like a placeholder for Brendan Rodgers to come, turned into a lot more than that. Rodgers never really fulfilled that destiny. But all of a sudden, he was a two-win guy last year. Yes, the WRC plus at ninety-two, but he's a good enough defensive second baseman, and he can hit just enough to survive there. I don't think he's a top ten guy. I think eleven or twelve is the perfect spot for him.
1: The splits kill him. You know, just what I was saying was was a good sign for India in terms of you know, even in his good season, he hit well away from Great American. Uh for, for Brendan Rodgers, man, it's 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 night and day home and road. And and I always try to take the the splits with a grain of salt because you're you're hitting at home and, and the ball moves one way and then you got to adjust a little bit on the road and it's gonna be a little bit different. So it's beyond just being in a hitter-friendly ballpark. But Brendan Rodgers at home last year. 313, 377, 498, which is an 875 OPS. By the way, that that's only a 117 WRC plus at course field. Remember yeah. that's park. It's a park adjusted stat. Correct. That's still good though. Right? Like if, if he was that <clears throat> overall, you know, we're, we're talking about well inside a top, a top 10 guy on the road. And it could be significantly worse, but it can't be this much worse. Yeah. 218, 271, 317. It's bad. It's a 65 WRC plus. Um, that that's just not going to work, right? You can't be thirty-five percent below average away from your home ballpark. Uh, I, and I I know it's tough to be a, a chorus guy, but you know th- that's just not going to fly. And I think that's the thing that ultimately holds him back right now. Because even if he was an eighty to eighty-five WRC plus guy on the road then I think he could weasel his way into this top 10, but he just has not been able to prove that he can hit away from course. And, and, and that's ultimately, you know, what's done him in. I will say though, he did have a pretty nice second half. So I'm interested to see, you know, how he builds off of that. Uh, He was a little bit better overall in the second half. And at the end of the day, he's 26, Jack, right? So, you know, we, we, see prospects that get up at 24, 25, take a year or two and starts to settle in after that Rogers has the talent. He's, he's a good, good enough defender, like you said, to, to be valuable, but this isn't what Rockies fans and the Rockies probably envisioned when he was the number one, arguably high school guy in his class and, you know, selected three and kind of fast tracked through the minors before hitting a, a wall right at the big leagues.
0: Right. And the conversation that we have a lot about really solid Rockies bats is can they survive if another place is their home ballpark? Like we saw a king's ransom come over for Troy Tolowitzki when he went to Toronto. We saw a king no, false. We we didn't see a king's ransom for Nolan Arenado. Um, I was gonna
1: say we saw a peasant's ransom.
0: Yeah. Nolan and then I was going to say like the conversations around a Trevor Story deal were King's ransom, but then that never happened. And more organizational idiocy from the Colorado Rockies letting Trevor Story walk for a comp pick. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, so there's the conversation story obviously failed. Arenado succeeded to failed. Rodgers never even created the opportunity to have that conversation around him like Carlos Gonzalez did. Charlie Blackman did at one point. Blackman obviously never left. Rogers, I don't think Brendan Rodgers is getting opportunities on very many other teams. Um, but good for him that the Rockies have been this bad for this long because until Areel Amador or Bernabelle is ready, he's yeah.
1: got it. That's for him to take. Yeah, he's got he's got time, and, and and again, I wouldn't be surprised if he takes a step this year. I'm not saying you know to be the 60 hit tool, 60 power guy that he was considered when he was a top 20 prospect in baseball. But you know, if he makes a little bit of a leap and you know, starts to tap into a little bit more power, if he's, he, would you be shocked if he's a 275 guy with a decent on base, 15 to 20 home runs, and plays good defense? Like that's a borderline top 10, probably a top 10 second baseman. Yeah, I mean. I
0: guess I would be shocked if he was for sure a top 10 second baseman, but I'm not going to be shocked. I think it's like a typical Brendan Rodgers season. If he's here again, like honorable mention could be 10, maybe not. I have no idea yeah. if there are some guys that are hurt. Maybe he sneaks in at 10. I think Rogers is that 92 WRC plus guy that he just put up. Um, but we do get into the top 10 and it's Brandon Lau who is hampered by injury. He put up less than a win in terms of F4 in just 266 plate appearances. He hit 221 with a 308 on base and a 383 slug, which was well below what he did in 2021. This guy was one of the most underrated power bats in baseball in 2021. He just couldn't get healthy in 22. If he is healthy, do you think he's a top 5 second baseman?
1: I mean, I like we're, we're I don't want to spoil the guys ahead but like to answer your question as i'm scrolling through the you know the the several guys ranked ahead of him yeah i, I think so because th- this is somebody that you know we're talking about 39 home runs from the second yeah. base position he's not the best defender in the world but he's no slouch there um, and he has done it in fractions of seasons in the past and this is where we talk about the two things injuries and how you wait 2021 versus 2022 Of course, 2022 weighs more in terms of the scale of what we're considering. And if it didn't, if we made 2021 and 2022 equal, Lowe would be probably in the top six because he hit 39 home home runs, right? You have to consider the fact that he did that in in 2021. You also have to consider the fact that in in sporadic playing time in 2020 – he was a two-win player in that abbreviated season, launched 14 home runs in 56 games. We saw him in 2019 where he did have a strikeout issue that he's continued to cut down as he's you know matured as a hitter, still hit 17 home runs in 82 games. Like, this power is legit. This game power is best at the position kind of pop, like Brian Dozier at second base kind of pop. Yeah. And, and I see some similarities there, um, which is a really good uh, power-hitting second baseman in today's game. So, you know, I am concerned about whether he can stay healthy, completely. You know, I think at this point he's 28. We've barely seen him stay healthy, but we've gotten one full season from him and he's gone nuclear in that full season. And I think you got to give him one more year to to try to do it again before we, you know, relegate him out of the, the top tens. Even if he has a few more days off, doesn't face lefties as much, they preserve him a little bit more. Um, he, he's going to produce enough. So I, I think this guy has as much upside as anybody in the uh, back half of this top 10.
0: I don't want this tandem, this middle infield tandem to turn into a what if scenario, because the the duo of Wander Franco at short and Brandon Lau at second could immediately become a top five, maybe top three middle infield tandem in all of baseball. You just think what they can do, the importance of Franco's bat for Tampa offensively. And then you've got Lau, who's got 40 homer potential. We saw it in 2021. If both those guys are consistently hampered by injuries, we're sitting here having the Tyler Glasnow conversation. Oh, he's amazing when he's on the field, but he's never on the field. I don't want to have that about two guys when Tampa, of all places, of all teams, of all contenders, needs consistency
1: so badly. Yep, 100%. And and that middle infield could be one of the most productive, especially on the offensive side of things. In baseball with Wander. I mean, that could be a combination of of home runs, driving in runs. Like Wow drove in hundred runs yeah. in 2021 as a second baseman and he's gonna walk. And that's the part that kind of hedges a swing and miss. Yeah. Um I I I'm gonna take those numbers last year with a grain of salt, given that he was banged up, but even with those down numbers that the bad offensive year in sixty five games of being banged up, 104 WRC plus and he produced one win you know, which would have scaled out to almost a three win season when he was hurt and and, and kind of playing poorly for his standards. So uh, this guy's too good to leave off the top 10. And honestly, man, I think by May we could be saying, oh, he's, top six or seven in this group and, and definitely ahead of the
0: next guy we're going to talk about for sure you, you mentioned the plate discipline brandon lau he, he had a 90 point jump from batting average to obp he was a 10 percent walk rate guy glaber torres is number nine on this list and i i think peter makes a really good point about glaber he somehow is underrated now yep. because he was so shit on in 2021 this guy was dreadful in 2021 because he was asked to play shortstop he failed miserably nine homers in nearly 130 games unacceptable from that guy what does he do he plays second base full-time in 2022 he hits 260 with a 450 slug hits 24 homers drives in 76 has a 115 wrc plus and is a pretty solid defensive second baseman yeah i think labor torres He's not going to be top five. I think that ship has sailed, but this guy is consistently going to be one of the more underrated bats in a lineup that gets so much publicity.
1: A hundred percent. And it's it's the Yankee effect. And also, like, I think what really piled up on him was he was playing shortstop and booting balls out there. And it was just like the whole story here of like it was brutal. So- Glaber Torres, the shortstop super prospect who can't field and isn't hitting for power like he was supposed to. It was but like a three up- hour nightmare every night. Yeah, it was rough. And you bring up what Peter said because Peter and I used to go back and forth about this. I was a big Glaber detractor because I just looking at the swing, treating him like a prospect in 2021, I was like, this is not a, an approach and a swing that I would endorse. But at the same time, like he's not a prospect, right? And he, and he at that point going into last year, had already produced 62 home runs in his big league career uh before the start of the 2020 season 65 if you want to you know count the abbreviated 2020 so and this is a guy that's already proven that he can have success there so you got to sometimes just just say hey this guy swings differently this guy gets away with a little bit because he's so talented just let it go um and after 2021's rough season i think he really bounced back to show that like hey i can still be a very productive hitter um and and i think you you kind of mention it we stack him against himself a little bit yeah. just because he had such a ridiculous 2019 uh, and i think pitchers started to adjust a little bit to that aggressive approach you know some of the holes in his swing which will probably not allow him to get back to 38 home runs in a, in a 125 wrc plus but the way he's kind of adjusted back to to still be able to be productive punish mistakes and be a good big league hitter i believe in that you know i believe in what we saw in 2022 continuing which is the 24 home runs which is you know the the 450 slug uh and, and a strikeout rate that's palatable at at 23% if this guy walked he would probably have a totally different offensive profile in terms of pushing closer to the 8 or 7 on this list yeah. uh but what i'm interested to and we'll probably talk about this more as we preview the season i wonder if this guy's going to going to be a yankee by the end of the year because um it's hard to find 2.7 F4. Like I want to make that clear. But, yeah, you know, he's only got one year left on the deal this year. Um, he's not cheap. I'm sure the Yankees would prefer to, you know, minimize the tax penalties. And they've got a, a slew of infielders who I really trust defensively and I think can swing it. Um it, I'm interested to see how Glaber handles that pressure this year. I usually don't try to like project pressure uh as as a reason to like detract from a player but i am interested to see because you know he was floated at the deadline last year uh, a lot uh he he has been discussed even through the offseason a little bit in trades and i'm sure his name is going to come back up again as volpe rakes as you know peraza maybe solidifies himself as a shortstop option as you know some of the other guys start to push their way up a little bit as well or cabrera swings it and says hey i can play the infield too yeah. um, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle this and, and how glaber handles that pressure I, I think he is a second baseman moving forward, though. Like, if he were to be no, traded, I don't think he's moving from second. No, no.
0: So that's the thing. Like, I think at the beginning of the twenty twenty two season, and even at the deadline, it was almost remnants of a buy low idea, right? Like, definitely before twenty twenty one, it was buy at the lowest and see if this guy can figure it out. At the deadline, it was okay. You know, obviously this ship has sailed a teensy bit with the Yankees, but. After you you put this 2022 season in the rear view, he's a 24-homer guy at second base, and he was nearly a three-win player. He's a good second baseman. You put him at short, he may crumble. So regardless of if he is a New York Yankee or on another team, he's a second baseman. The shortstop yeah. ship has sailed because yep. you learned how good he is at second base. It's like the Marcus Semien conversation. I mean, shit, dude. Yeah, yeah. Semien was an average shortstop maybe even below average. There was a year where he led Major League Baseball and errors committed. He moves to second base. He's a gold glove winner. He has a 40-homer season. And boom, he signs an $175 million deal. That's not Glaber Torres. And we'll talk about Semyon a little bit later on in this list. Um, But Torres is a consistent, good performer if he's comfortable defensively. And I think he proved that this year.
1: Last question on Torres because you know he's a guy that likes to go the other way sometimes inside out some of those home runs to right field and, and definitely benefits from the short porch a little bit out there. He you know, obviously hits a ball hard too, but how concerned would you be as a team potentially either signing him in free agency or acquiring him at, at this deadline or at some point during the season that there's an eighty as eighty something point difference in his slugging home versus away hundred and eight. Point difference in his isolated power from home in a way uh it, like would that be a concern to you if you're a team that's you know adding glaber torres and presumably play in and more of a pitcher's park or or even just a status quo park yeah i mean short answer yes uh long answer is a question
0: for you I, and i don't even want to get into trade package type stuff like what would a return for glaber torres like look like because-
1: i think it'd be light yeah.
0: So when he does hit the open market, because he's not going to get an extension from the Yankees, when he does hit the open market, what does a Glaber Torres contract look like? I have no idea what a Glaber Torres contract looks like.
1: It's going to be interesting to see how much teams consider, you know, the, the splits. Cause it wasn't just last year, he's had those splits and, right. um, you know, some of the other things that come with it. So it should, should be interesting. And it's right, funny because like, the next guy is a guy that got moved for a, a pretty penny in terms of trades, too. So, um, and, and we ranked him just one spot ahead of him. But obviously, control and all those things come with that. But I am going to be very fascinated to see what Gleyber Torres gets contractually once he hits free agency. Do you think J.P. Crawford is too much for Gleyber Torres? Five for 50? I thought... No, I think, I think he could... I think he'll exceed that on name value. Honestly. Really? I really, I really do. do. Yeah, I, I don't really think do. so. I think he could get something around that. Wow. Okay. That shows like... You think name value
0: still has fifty million dollar player? I think narrative from Yankee fans, like just from what has infiltrated my brain, is this guy's not worth five million dollars. Fuck this
1: guy. Yeah, I get that. A hundred percent. I can hear the Yankees fans saying that. Hundred home runs and in, in five hundred and seventy-six games is is pretty impressive for a second baseman and I think I think that's gonna be enough for a team to you know he's gonna be young. He's gonna be really young hitting free agency. So yeah. it's gonna be enough for a team I think to to take a shot and give him a, a, a JP Crawford or more kind of deal. I really yeah. do.
0: Number eight on this list is almost a utility guy. And I think he's going to bounce around a little bit for the Miami Marlins, who just acquired him via trade. The, the batting champ uh from last year in the American League, Luisa Rise, was a three win player last year. 603 plate appearances, hit 316 with a 375 OBP, a 420 slug. This guy walks more than he strikes out. Eight and a half percent walk rate, seven percent K rate, all in all results in a 130 WRC plus. He was an above-average defender when you look at defensive runs saved and outs above average. He's got some defensive versatility. He'll probably stay put on the right side of the infield Miami at second and first, especially now that Jazz Chisholm is in center and Gene Segura likely signed to be the third baseman. But Arise, you're never worried about swing and miss. You're never worried about an 0-4 day from him because he can win a batting title. The question then becomes... Can he hit 10 homers? And the answer is probably
1: not. So that's the interesting thing. Um, because I thought the same thing. And then I queued up the spray chart on Luis Arias and put his 2022 spray chart in Marlins Park. And guess what? <laughs> Baseball is such a weird fucking sport. Every single one of his home runs last year would have left the pitcher's park, that is Lone Depot. Really? Yeah. How bizarre is that? But there were only eight to count. It Correct. was a quick jump. Correct. But all eight of them. Actually, I think if you go by what what the spray charts were last year, he would have had more home runs. Yeah, let me, let me go to his page because um, I think it tells you, right? It might on the um, – I, I did it through another way of just like looking at the map. I think if you if you pull it up on Baseball Savant, I'm curious if it tells you the same thing. Here we go. Based on where He hit these home runs last year and some of his doubles. I think he actually would have had more homers based on where he likes it. They're all pull side yeah. and pull sides not as bad in Marlins Park, you know, right field is not as bad. I keep saying Marlins Park Lone Depot. I'm always gonna call it Marlins Park. Um, how, how many does it say on Baseball Savant 11? He would have been an 11 Thank homer you. guy. How crazy is that dude? He's got 80 juice. bizarre. <laughs> He's got, he's got thump, man. He's got more thump. It, it was beneficial. So, you know, that's the weird part about it. What I will say is like, like this guy does not hit the ball that hard, no. but, and of course there's more to it than just like, oh, if you put his spray chart in this stadium, then this would have happened. Like, is the ball going to carry the same way? All those things. I don't know. But when the home run total goes up, it, it, when you do this baseball savant thing or look at this spray chart you got to figure at the very least he's going to be able to replicate eight which was way up from what he's done in previous years right he had six in his entire career before last season which was in more than 250 games so obviously we saw him lift the ball a little bit more tap into a little bit more power slugging 420 when you're hitting 316 and getting on base at a 375 impressive. clip is it's really solid. And and the thing too, is, you know, I I think people were kind of wondering, is he going to match the power? Even if he doesn't quite, and I still think there's more room for him gaps wise. And that was another interesting angle. I heard Kim Ang talking about and and some of the Marlins, you know, brass were were saying we actually think it's going to benefit him one, because we don't think he's going to lose that much power, but two, he's he's a, he loves to wear out the gaps. So if he has more space to, to drive it into the gap, more of those doubles are going to fall. So, I am interested to see how how it works for him. Uh, but regardless, let's say he just matches what he did last year. That's a shoe-in top 10 second baseman every single year. Uh because I mean, this is a guy that is is a throwback player. Um and and I find it really refreshing to be honest, watching a team full of Marlins that is not that has not been able to hit really and has not had a pure hitter since Christian Yelich. Right. Um it, it's it's really nice to see uh, Luis, Luis Uriah is getting thrown into the fold here and, and kind of helping just be that consistent bats to ball guy who produced a 131 WRC plus as a 25-year-old man. Right. Underratedly young. You would think Uriah is like 28,
0: 29. He's 25 years old. He's got a whole bunch of baseball ahead of him, and he's a great extension candidate on a pretty cheap price tag for the Miami Marlins if they choose that avenue. He's already accrued a bunch of service time. Arise, I find this number really interesting. Um, he saw 61% fastballs last year because I think pitchers it went through their mind like, "Oh, he doesn't impact the ball like a guy that I should really be scared of, so I can get away with a fastball." He saw 1400 fastballs. He saw 600 breaking balls. He hit 350 against fastballs. So this guy got 61% fastballs. He swung and missed at less than 6% of them, so a 94% contact rate against fastballs, and he hit three fifty against them. If pitchers don't learn and they think that they can get away with that because they won't get taken out of the ballpark, I want a three fifty hitter on my team. And, and the last thing I'll say about a rise is batting time. There is room for these guys in the game. Yuli Guriel in 2021, batting title. There was room for him on the Houston Astros. We just had a conversation with D. Gordon, which you should go listen to on Show and Go with Taylor Davis, which was recently added to our network. So I mean, it's like there's room for a D. Gordon in our game. If you are a 300 hitter, you will find your way onto a field. There's no doubt about it. And Arise, okay, even if the power, even if he's a six or seven homer guy. If you hit 315, 320, you're going to be in a major league lineup. And that's a great asset for the Marlins to have.
1: And and a reason why I agree with all of that and a reason why I think he is going to just find a way to kind of be that that annoying hitter. When we talk to a lot of these pitchers and ask, you know, who who's the most difficult guy you've had to face? I've noticed that we get more of like the Nico Horner type answers yeah. because they're not, of course, they're going to get burned by Aaron judge and burned by some of these other guys who are just, you're going to miss your spot or they're just going to beat you to the spot and hit a 450 foot bomb. Yeah, but you can but also you succeed against those guys. You're going to succeed more against those guys. It's the throwback players that they don't really prepare for that wear them down. And they don't really know how to get out. And the number one encapsulation of this, I think in the last thing I'll say about a is, 4 forcing fastballs. We know have taken over the game. And I know sinkers have gotten involved too, uh, but we know what the high spin, you know, induced vertical break fastball is at the top of the zone. Four seamers specifically, Arias hit over 375 against last year. Damn. Uh, you know, so if you're doing that, you could almost suck against everything else and still have a level of success. He obviously doesn't, but still have a level of success at the big league level. So I, I, this guy's going to hit. I think he's always going to hit. <laughs> Defensively, I'm, I'm a little concerned up the middle. Of, uh, we're talking about double play duos. I think we're going to talk about that on the podcast. Uh, Miserable, on, yeah. On who's better baseball with, with Ryan Finkelstein. <laughs> I don't know if we'll be talking about the Arias-Wendell up the middle duo here. <laughs> Um, so sad. And again, for, for those who are wondering where Jazz is, he's center field now. So we'll be talking yeah. about him in the center field episode. But yeah, um, that's going to be a very interesting middle infield duo. Yes, 100%. Uh, and listen, Marlins fans wanted batting. Well, they got batting
0: with Luis Rice. Oh, God. That was like the worst tweet ever. When we that was talked a brutal tweet. That was a brutal tweet. Seven, Ozzy Albies, the king of the counting stat in recent years. <laughs> Ozzy Albies, whether you like it or not, is a 30 homer, 100 RBI guy. Ozzie Albies, though, he was hammered by injury. He was limited to under 300 plate appearances. He hit under 250 with an OBP under 300. He did slug over 400. But the counting stats, which he's so good at, in under 270 plate appearances, eight homers, 35 RBIs, a walk rate under 6%. Still the K rate under 20%, but a 93 WRC+. Plus. Ozzy Albie's has to hit he's an average defensive second baseman he's got to hit the ball at the ballpark he's got to drive in runs he gets ample opportunity to do so i think he does it when he's on the field problem was he just wasn't on the field in 2022
1: yeah so injuries have have become an issue for Albie's, who is another deceptively like younger than you think kind of guy oh yeah Um, he's he's just turned 26 a month ago uh so still can continue to get better as a hitter, especially from, and I'm going to say for the 4,000th time on the Just Baseball Show, if he can just get his left-handed swing a little bit closer to his right-handed swing, then he's easily a top five second baseman in baseball. Yeah. If I ever, 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 ever meet this guy, I, I won't be able to help myself. I really Was won't. he one last year? Was he number one? In terms of what? Second baseman. I think on our second base rankings, Albies was one. One or two. I don't remember, but if if Albie's hit righty all the time, he might be number one. Yeah. I want to just emphasize this one last time, maybe for some of the new listeners. In his career as a righty, Albie's is slashing three twenty eight, three fifty seven, five sixty one. There's a large sample size, by the way. MVP candidate, a one thirty nine WRC plus nine seventeen OPS from the left side, which, mind you, you hit from the left side two thirds of the time. Yes. 250, 310, 437. It's a 747 OPS. That's a 94 WRC+. plus. I would do anything for this guy to hit from the right side more. You want to know the even funnier part? Is he has actually taken a couple right-on-right at-bats, which is the craziest part. I don't know why he did that when he did that or what. He has six at-bats right-on-right, two home runs. <laughs> Just do it. Do it more. Just do it, please. (laughs) Please. But that's it for me. I mean, like this guy, you talk about the counting stats – yeah, sure. Did the advanced metrics not like him as much because he doesn't walk and whatever? Sure, um, but give me thir- like from my second baseman, like what he did in 2021, give me 30 home runs and 106 driven in in 20 bags yes. with a sub 20 percent K rate, right? Like that was a four win season. Uh, I don't know how that wasn't a five or six win season. Uh, literally just because his on base percentage was 310. Um, yeah. If he can walk a little bit more, and he's got time to continue to refine the approach, he was 25 last year get healthy, walk a little bit more. This is a top five second baseman in baseball.
0: Well, and the contract's the contract. Seven years, $35 million. That's good for literally anybody. That's good for a 1.0 F4 guy. And Albies is so much more than that. When he's on the field for as often as he is, he's a top three second baseman in baseball. It's probably Altuve McNeil and Albies, maybe Marcus Semien in there. But Albies, you you can't argue with 30-plus homers, 100-plus driven in. I mean, this guy, the Braves have club options on him for $7 million in 2026 and 2027. I won't even think about it. He won't hit the open market until he's 31 years old. Like, yeah. Obviously, that's an excellent, excellent contract for them. But um, I, I think what he does for the Braves, regardless of contract, is so good for the Atlanta Braves. Like he's the perfect second baseman for them. Is he the best second baseman in baseball? No. But is he the best second baseman for what the Braves want to do for the foreseeable future? Yes, he is.
1: Hundred percent, and the last thing I'll say is, you know, bat to ball skills are really impressive. Like high zone contact, yeah, high ass chase rates. Just, just, just chase a little less. If this guy walks, man, like he is, he is a force offensively. And again, it's important to remember, twenty six years old. So uh, I, I think Albies is going to keep getting better as long as he's on the field. Yes.
0: Uh, all right, number six, Katal Marte with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Katel is a really interesting case study because he is. Center field slash second base. He's so fast. He hits the crap out of the ball when he catches it perfectly on the barrel. Like he pumps out 115, 116s off the bat. But the problem is, can he do it consistently? In 2022, the answer for the most part was no. In 2021, the answer for the most part was yes, he can. Cattell um, is very hit or miss in various stages of his career. I think 2023 can be a hit. I know Peter thinks 2023 can be a hit. Where do you stand on Catel Marte? I'll
1: be honest. I think I'd rather have Albies next year. Okay. Uh, Why? I think both of these guys have some health concerns, right? I mean, both have been banged up. I I just, I do wonder how far, like, I, I think we're almost, we talk about how we overlook some of the, um, some of the things that guys have done in the past, I feel like with Cattell Marte, we almost forget how far back in the rearview mirror that 6.2 F4 season was. Yeah, 2019. That was was 2019. And since 2019, we had, uh, you know, a a bad abbreviated 2020 campaign. Okay, throw that out the window. 2021, he was great for 90 games. So it's like, oh, can't wait for 2022. Here's the full season of Cattell Marte. This guy's going to ball. And he didn't ball. So, you know, I, I just... I really find it hard to believe that after 137, 137 games last year of like just not really good offense and just a 1.4 F4 season that he's magically going to, you know, try to get back to to 2019 form of him or even that 2021 form through the first 90 games. Like I feel better about a 26 year old Albies doing that than, than maybe an almost 30 year old Cattell Marte, um, but that said, would it shock me? No. Uh, and, and you talk about the talent and, and just the raw ability this guy has, switch hitter, insane uh, with, with the power, with the speed. Um, I don't know. Just to, I'm I'm starting to believe that he might not totally come back enough. Like I don't know if we'll ever be healthy enough to do it for a full 160. And I'll be I just I'm I'd rather bet on the 26 year old to stay healthy because I think they both have a similar skill set. I mean, yeah. you know, Marte's a little freakier. Uh, but I also think Albies has a better feel to hit. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. But I think both of these guys are going to be one way or another this year. And, and I just feel better about Albies' chances.
0: Well, and to that I say fair. In 2018, he was 26 doubles, 12 triples, 14 homers. 2019, that's six-war season. He finished fourth in MVP voting. <laughs> Sorry. 36 doubles, nine triples, 32 homers. And then all of a sudden you get to 2022 where he plays seven fewer games that he did when he went 36, nine 32 doubles, triples, homers, he's 42 2 12. So the doubles are still there. Where did the triples go in that cavernous ballpark? Like it's more, it's probably the most cavernous ballpark in baseball, the most triple friendly ballpark in baseball, not named Coors field. And then the power dissipates as well. So I I'm just curious, like, you know, I, I mentioned it when I gave you the rundown a couple of minutes ago, but, you know, consistency of hard contact, that went away. It was there in 2019. It was there when he was on the field in 2021. It was just not there at all in 2022. And, I mean, he's going to be 29 years old. Like, this could absolutely mean that the, the consistency of crazy hard contact is just not here to stay at any
1: point. This is an... This is another guy where I think it's a shaky year this year and now it's outside of the top ten, which would suck because I love Marte as a player. Um and he did sign I'll that say, extension, right? He he was yeah, five years seventy-six. That kicks in this year. Thank thank goodness for his sake. Um, yeah. But true. who knows? It could end up being a good value deal for the D backs. But you know, I think it was smart for him to take that money. Uh not, you know, with the uncertainty around him. Last thing I'll say is you say consistency like frequency of hard contact. Big tell here. He still hit the ball really hard last year, but a two mile per hour dip in ninetieth percentile exit velocity is generally going to mean a very large dip in in just overall power numbers and, and the overall power department. So, and I think that kind of tells you something there.
0: Yep, and the isolated power dropped about seventy five points. The Those habit- will always crossover. <laughs> Yep, and the Babbitt dropped uh, 75 points here. It went from 350 to 276, which is kind of crazy. So um, that's what you got with Cattell Marte at six. Number five is Nico Horner, who was a four-win player this past year. (laughs) Count on the defense, baby. All he needed to do was hit a little bit, and he hit a lot of bit. 281, 327, 410 slash line, drove in 55. He doesn't walk, but he doesn't strike out. An 11% K rate, a WRC+. plus over 105 i mean he is probably the best defensive second baseman in baseball
1: now it's going to be a great competition between a lot of like shortstops who are now going to second base and i think i think it's horner's title to defend right now um i have made my case for turang who i think is going to be a carbon copy of him especially on the defensive side of things i don't know if we'll quite have the offense there um you know right away like horner did but there's going to be some of those guys that move over that I'm interested in. I think Horner, Horner is the guy defensively at second base. You mentioned the offense, man, and and use a, something that you would have totally roasted me for saying a lot of it. You would have, you would have roasted me for saying that. A lot of it? I say a lot of bit, A lot of it. Yeah, a little. Yeah, yeah, fair. You would have roasted me. I'm just saying. Just saying. No, nah, um, Judgment oh, free zone. Totally. I've never judged you before on this podcast. Oh, you've never, never. Um, no, I, I, I'm a I nice get, guy. I get sh- I get show notes from you afterwards. Like this was stupid. You shouldn't have said this. You should. And I always that. send
0: him, even if I'm not up at like 1:30, I'll schedule the email to go at like 1:30 or 2 a.m. Just so he thinks I'm up obsessing uh-huh.
1: over every flaw that he's committed. Yeah and you see you see my mom. Um but the zone contact is what stands out to me man because you talk about how he hit right and to go from zero homers to 10 10 home runs when you got 93% zone contact that sh- that should plays like yeah. elite defense 93% zone contact and fringy enough power where at least he's leaving the yard and rise amount of time last year a little bit more yeah that's all you need cuz same conversation that we had with rise. think Luis Arias with way better defense and speed yeah like that and i'm sure like arise is probably a little bit more elite back to ball wise but like marginally marginally and speed that's the separator between top five and eighth correct and that's why i don't even i don't think nico horner like five is a phenomenal spot for this guy after one year um but i wouldn't be surprised if this guy ends up being like the how did he produce six f war Kind of guy, right? Um, you know Ben Zobrist, he had like a six or seven F four season, and I stump people with that trivia question all the time, and it was because of the defense, the the stolen bases, the the bat to ball, sneaking enough home runs, just counting everything in the analytical side, just all adding up to give you a six war season. I think that's what this dude's gonna do, um and and I feel very good. If you told me what's his, you asked me what's his floor F war wise, and I know F four isn't the whole story, three. but. I'd say three and and I wouldn't, I wouldn't lose one lick of sleep about it.
0: So this feels like the guy that finds loopholes in F war, right? This feels (laughs) like the guy that like somehow says, okay, well, I'm not an 11 win player, like judge, because I'm not Roger Maris 2.0. But what I can do is I can sprinkle a little bit of elite defense and I could sprinkle a little bit of, um, you know, base running acumen and like, everything just adds up. So instead of going, eight from the bat, three from the defense, you are one and a half from the bat, two and a half from the defense, one from the base running. Like it's, it's adding nice. up to be a four-win player. And that's the beauty of Nico Horner. I love that he's a top five guy the first time that he's considered a second baseman because Mike Petriello put out this great thread. He was doing these threads mid season last year. um, And it was guys that are grading out so effectively defensively and what they're doing so well, guys that are narrative based considered elite defensive players that don't grade out exceptionally well by DRS and OAA. Here are the plays that ding them a bit. And one of his like love threads was about Nico Horner, where he was, this guy is one of the best defenders in baseball. Here's why. The defensive acumen of Nico Horner is close to
1: unmatched in Major League Baseball. And then you add in 20 for 22 on stolen bases. Yeah, dude. Like this guy's just a value in every single way. Even if for whatever reason, he's not swinging it. He's he's going to give you value in other spots feel really good about Horner but there is something about when you get to the top four now you start to see the ceiling go up right and that's where it's fun
0: well four's a six win player man yeah.
1: Andres Jimenez out of fucking
0: nowhere was a 6.1 f4 guy the fourth best second baseman in baseball Andres Jimenez he hit 300 he slashed 297 371 466 17 homers Just under 70 driven in, 20% K rate, 6% walk rate. But this guy, 300 hitter with close to 20 bombs, a 140 WRC plus. Not to mention, he was arguably the best defensive second baseman in baseball. 16 defensive runs saved, 12 outs above average. This guy all of a sudden is Robin to J-Rams Batman in Cleveland, and they needed a Robin really fucking bad.
1: Really bad. And rarely do you do well on the, you know, trades of superstars, especially when you're leveraged. When and by leverage, I mean there wasn't that much control of Lindor, right? We look at the Mookie Betts trade and we love to, to shit on the Red Sox about it. But at the end of the day, Heim Bloom was set up for failure on the Mookie Betts trade because he was never gonna get that blue chip blue chip prospect because he had no leverage. Mookie was about to hit free agency. Uh Lindor had a little bit more control, but the leverage wasn't totally there. And uh, to to have a player, I mean, I Amed mean, Rosario, in his own respects, has turned into a, a solid big leaguer. So, Andres Jimenez is is. You know, I don't think you can replace the production of Lindor, but a six win <laughs> season is not far off. I know it's different from second versus shortstop, and Lindor brings a lot to the table. But I mean, this is as good as you could have made out in that trade because of the player that Lindor, or excuse me, that Jimenez has turned into. And crazy enough, man, he was twenty freaking three last year. I this know, twenty three years old. And he also played 18 games at short. Like he's good enough to move over there and hold it down. Kind of like Horner. And the last thing I'll say before I kick it back to you is, and of course it's like, no shit. You're, you're ranking from 10 to one. Of course, each guy's going to get better and better. But in terms of the profile with some of these guys, I feel like we've gone through like an evolution here of just like upgrade, pressing upgrade, pressing upgrade. And each guy has another little wrinkle to their game and has just a higher ceiling and the other tools that all of these guys are pretty adept at. And I feel like Jimenez is just that next upgrade, right? We took Nico Horner, good bat-to-ball guy, great defender, good speed, and we hit upgrade in terms of you know more power, maybe better defense somehow, and, yep. and just more overall production, but kind of a similar mold of great defense, good speed at 20 for 23 on stolen bases, like just a really dynamic, well-rounded player. But the 466 <sighs> slug is what catches me totally off guard, man. Like I don't think anyone saw that coming. dude
0: and and I love the point you make about being leveraged by the player like Lindor was a sitting duck he was going to get moved question was going to be where is he getting moved to the answer was the Mets you get Rosario and Jimenez back as the headline pieces you made the comp to the Mookie Betts deal from Boston to the Dodgers they get Verdugo jeter downs connor wong back verdugo and ahmed rosario kind of similar right like you knew that those were young exciting talents who knew what they were going to be they're both slightly above average players right like i would say rosario and verdugo are a good comp what what cleveland aced that the red sox failed miserably was boston just dfa the guy that could turn into a star the guy that could turn into a star has exceeded star expectations in Jimenez. So it is everything that the Red Sox were hoping for with Jeter downs. And I'm sorry that the Red Sox no. caught astray here, but like, Oh, no. this is that, exactly the formula that Cleveland was
1: trying to follow. I want to be clear too. I would have, I would have made the same mistake. I loved Jeter downs. Yeah. I thought that's a ball power stolen bases. Like he could do a little bit of everything. I am so shocked that Jeter Downs is not the player. I defended that trade to a degree when it first happened because of how much I like Jeter Downs and and the high floor of Verdugo. Last thing I'll say to kind of get back to Jimenez here is Cleveland did a great job of IDing a guy that was undervalued. Both of them had struggled in a small spurt at the big league level with the Mets and Jimenez had, you know, put up okay offensive numbers in, in double a before they acquired him. He was coming off of, uh, meh 49 games like a one war he was pretty good i guess uh for the mets but before that in 2019 in double a jimenez was a 105 wrc plus guy hit 250 and got a base at a 309 clip and 387 slug like this was a glove first guy that i don't think anybody dreamed of this kind of offensive potential you look at at fan graphs they didn't really have him with that kind of offensive potential you get a lot of the other evaluators they didn't have that kind of offensive potential and the craziest part jack he's gonna still get better Yep. Talking about 26-year-olds that still have time, here's a 24-year-old who still has time to keep getting better and has a
0: six-win season to build off of. Start your franchise from scratch. Everybody is, you know, like, okay, expansion team, right? Say instead of a team relocating to Vegas, it was an expansion team in Vegas. Um, you know, all the, like, top 10 guys at each position protected except second base. You have your pick of the litter as second baseman. Is Jimenez the guy you pick? Of all of the second basemen. Of right now. all the second basemen. Like you think Altuve, he's older.
1: McNeil. If I'm starting a franchise, abs- I think absolutely. Gold glover, yeah. Con- sixth MVP voting, 300 hitter. If we're considering team control, youth, all of that good stuff. Uh yeah. I mean, dude, how many twenty three how many twenty-three-year-olds have put up a six-war season at second base? No, man. I mean, before
0: Giannis won his MVPs like LeBron was clearly the best player in basketball, but you like pulled all 30 GMs and Giannis ran away with the vote because of the youth, because of the control. Like now it's Luka Doncic. This feels like, you know, obviously it's not Giannis or Luka. Like if you did that, it would probably be one of these young shortstops. It would be like a wanderer or probably a Julio Rodriguez is up there. But if you were to give me second baseman and say pick one and you're starting a franchise right now, it's probably
1: the 24 year old hundred percent. I'd struggle to find somebody that's more valuable. And, and even that we're about to get to the next three guys ahead, they're all quote unquote older. Um, yeah. And and that's not who I'm building my franchise with. But for next year, I like these three guys a little bit more potentially. I think you can make the case that Jimenez is, is ahead of this next guy. Um, but ultimately, it was a quote unquote down year for him. And he yeah. still had a 4-4, four f four, so I'll, I'll give you the floor.
0: <laughs> right, and, and Albies was not number one last year because this guy was number one last year. He was coming off of that insane, insane year with Toronto. He signed that $175 million deal. Marcus Semien is our third best second baseman in baseball in 2023. Now with Texas, obviously, you mentioned the down year. This guy still played all the time over 700 plate appearances very few guys in major league baseball eclipse 700 plate appearances semian does it pretty much every year he was a 4.2 f4 guy Hit 248, 304, 429. Still had 26 homers, 83 driven in. He had a 16.5% K rate, a 107 WRC. Plus. And coming off of that gold glove caliber uh, year in 2021, he was gold glove caliber again in 2022. 11 defensive runs saved, eight outs above average.
1: This guy is a star. He's He yeah. was worth that $175 million deal. Yeah, isn't it funny how we were talking about how big that contract was? And then now after this past offseason, I look back at that contract and we're like, eh, that's a pretty good deal. Seven years, 175. Xander Bogarts here. Xander Bogart's at the same age got over a hundred
0: million dollars more.
1: And do you have much concern about Semi and like aging well? Like even age not at 37, all. 38 at, all. At, at second base. Okay, maybe he won't be elite defensively. He's still gonna run into baseballs. So he's still gonna play good defense. You're not gonna be like, is he gonna be the most valuable player in the world is he gonna be 25 million dollar player probably not but he's not gonna be that like gaping hole that you're like oh my gosh when does he come off the books um but for now i think we gotta put and especially in today's game we gotta put stock in availability to your point jack the last four full seasons and it, you know, i'm not gonna count 2020 which he still did p- play 53 of 60 games yeah uh, but there was obviously a million reasons why you could miss a game COVID protocols whatever it could be for since 2018 159 games, 162 games, 162 games, 161 games. And then even go back to 2016, 159 games, 2015 155 games. This guy is always available. And while he might not be the best player in baseball available every day, he's a all-star caliber talent that is always ready to go and always available that has to matter. When it comes to to weighing 21 and 22, we put Brandon Lowe on the on on, on this list because of the fact that he had such an insane 21 where he hit 40 home runs, 39 home runs. Semyon hit 45 yeah. in 2021, then still put up 26 last year, went 25-25 with 25 backs career high in that department too. Could have been a little bit more efficient. I think he got thrown out eight times, yep. but yep. saw the strikeout rate drop, uh, had a phenomenal second half and still produced a 4F4, 4.2. So with the strong second half, there's nowhere but the top three to put this guy. And if it weren't for the years that two and one had, I would be very bullish on Semyon potentially being you know, pushed even a little bit higher. Um, but at the same time, you can make the case that Se- that Andre Semenis could be in the top three, which is a yeah. guy that I kind of wanted to put in there too. So it just shows you how talented this position gets at the top four and why our call was four hours long.
0: Yes. And baseball reference quirk, Marcus Semyon also led the American League in sacrifice flies with 10. So He's a run producer. He puts the ball in the air when you
1: need to. Situational baseball. That's my kind of player. Um, I (laughs) hold the high school record at Pinecrest. Shut up. Broke Griffin Griffin Conine's record of sacrifice flies. The difference was his were by accident, and mine was me getting all of it. Um, But immortalized. Immortalized for sacrifices. God, those probably felt so good coming off the bat, too. Oh, I'm like, that one might get out. It got all of it. Got all of it. Straight away center. Tag up, oh, baby. I'm always, I was always checking. You better tag, you motherfucker. Like you better not lose yeah. me some points on the batting average. Tag up. That shit's not leaving the yard. So mine
0: was like, and they took the bat out of my hands very, very early. But mine was, damn, that felt good. And then all of a sudden it's like a soft liner to short that like
1: they have no problem. <laughs> yeah, that's with. when you know it's time to go to the mound.
0: Yeah, it's like, okay, you know what? That's fine. I'll, I'll deal with that. Um. All right. Number two, Jeff McNeil, six win player batting title hit 326 with a 3d2 on base slug 450 just nine homers 62 driven in but this guy walked seven percent of the time struck out 10 percent of the time he had a 143 wrc plus he's one of the better defensive second baseman in baseball mcneil just signed that 50 million dollar extension that was perfect allocation of funds from steve cohen i think they got a steal for a guy that is consistently going to be near the top of major league baseball in hits
1: and in batting average, I mean, man, it, there was that like Mets wide issue in 2021, offensively, you know, and they kind of cleaned house staff wise, um, in turn, and, and really kind of got back to the basics with hitting philosophy, and you know, I think I think one of the biggest Lindor was a casualty of of it in 2021. I think McNeil was the biggest casualty of of kind of the hitting philosophy or or lack thereof uh, that season because. He just wasn't himself, and, and you know what's interesting though is I covered a couple of Mets games, credentialed, yeah, you know, and, and it was just a lot of fun to to be in a different clubhouse, different environment. But it wasn't that fun at times because of how rough the vibe was there. Yeah, and I was expecting some like you know kind of kind of dark, dreary, uh, you know, maybe a rough attitude from Jeff McNeil. And there were times where he was a little snappy a couple of times when I went there. But the one thing that I kept seeing that kind of prevailed with Jeff McNeil was that he wasn't worried about it. And and I really believed that he wasn't worried about it. He's like, I'll, I'll get back to to who I am. I'm not worried about it, you know. And and that was totally the vibe I got. And then what does he do in in 2022? I mean, he gets right back to who he is, if not better. Right, three twenty six, yep. three eighty two, four fifty four. Uh, a one forty three WRC plus is second high of, uh, highest of his career. Uh, besides 2019 where he had a 144 wrc plus but i'd argue that this is by far the best season of his career because he played the most games he played even better defense than we've seen he's continued to get better defensively he struck out the least we've seen him strike out and the guy just gets on base man so he is as safe of a bet to just hit as you're gonna find and runs into just enough extra base hits or just enough home runs makes up for it with a ton of extra base hits right 39 doubles last year so even if it's only nine home runs 39 doubles is going to up that slugging and he slugged 454
0: spoiler alert there's no better middle infield tandem in major league baseball than mcneil and lindor it's not not. close
1: i won't even even listen to it unless marcus Semyon and Corey seager both have career years at the same time i won't you know or or jeremy pena makes like the superstar leap both of those very unlikely um this is it's not even close you could have 14 war in the middle infield for the mets this year (laughs) not outlandish no no think about just the infield period what you could have war wise you know you could have 14 from the middle infield another five or so from pete alonso yeah uh, and then whatever you get from third base another win and a half from eduardo Escobar and and brett Beatty. and yeah i don't know i don't know how they're going to handle that but no this is the best middle infield tandem in baseball Yeah.
0: Uh, Number one, though, Jose Altuve, he's here again. He will be here, it feels like, for five more years. 6.6 F4, over 600 plate appearances. He hit 300 with a 533 slug, 28 homers. 11% walk rate, 14% K rate, a 164 WRC plus was top five in all of baseball. He did struggle a bit defensively by the advanced metrics, but if you know anything about Jose Altuve, it's that you shouldn't give a single shit about the defensive advanced metrics. This guy is a World Series mainstay. He's a future Hall of Famer. That was
1: gonna be my question.
0: And he's a one sixty four WRC plus guy. When he's thirty two years old, man, he's absolutely the
1: top second baseman in the game. He just fucked around and had the best season of his career. I know. Like when we were like, everyone was counting him out. Not saying like he's cooked and done, but like kind of like best days are behind him potentially. Yeah. Um. Without Correa, what was the joke that we had on the pod? What was the joke we had at the beginning of the season? (laughs) He's like a three true outcome guy. Oh (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. Which was which was satirical, but like that's what he was looking like in the beginning of the year, and right. you know, he couldn't really throw the baseball. And we're like, whoa! But this guy's overcome every single like odd that was stacked against him, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, that that's the thing is he seems to always find a way to to just get back to who he is, and then some, and to do what he did last year um, is remarkable. And I don't know if you've seen like what he did in the second half because he did shake off that kind of rough, very very early start. But what he did in the second half was even more remarkable, 175 WRC+. plus. The speed is still a big part of his game. In the second half, he slashed 328, 409, 551. It's a 960 OPS. Um, so just to see what he did last year and sure, like maybe the defense took a little bit of a hit, which is interesting because I think if he defended better by the advanced metrics, he probably has an eight-win eight season last year. Based yeah. on what he hit 300, 387, 533 and stole 18 bags on 19 tries and launched 28 home runs. <laughs> so it somehow steals 13 more bases on with, with better efficiency. Like he was 5 for 8 in 2021. He was 18 for 19 this past year. He nearly matches his home run total in five less games and ups his batting average on base percentage, slugging percentage, walk rate, like everything. This guy legitimately just had the best – arguably the best year of his career. You could maybe refer back to 2016 as the best year of his career. But right there at age 32, that's why I was going to say, is he a Hall of Famer? Like if he ended his career today, probably just shy. But by the time he's done, you assume he gives you another three, four years, like something like this, and then another six, seven years total? This guy's going to Cooperstown, man.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't think he's a first ballot guy just because the narrative around him – yeah, you have like, some you you
1: have some detractors because of the the whole garbage can. Yeah, this guy's I mean... gonna be done when by the time he's done, Jack, what is gonna be 300 stolen bases and 300 home runs and a 307 career hitter right now? He... He, like that's that's a that might be first ballot dude
0: (laughs) well and he's gonna get to two thousand hits this year he's gonna get to 700 rbis this year he's gonna get to 300 stolen bases this year he's an mvp eight-time all-star two-times world series champ six-time silver slugger three batting titles an alcs mvp a gold glove winner and as i scroll on baseball reference i want to find where he stacks up with like war and jaws score um let's see hall of fame monitor uh, he is, yeah, so the likely Hall of Fame, um, likely Hall yeah, of I've Famer is like a 100 scale. It's almost like a WRC Plus scale. Um, Altuve checks in at 161. Okay. So this guy has 47 career war. His seven-year
1: peak is 40. Yeah, that's that's just, and he's, again, he's playing the best he has played. He's on the yeah. top of his game. Yeah. The last thing I'll, I'll say or ask you is what, if you're going into the, this coming season, obviously our ranking is number one. Uh, you know, gun to your head, who would you take of this group to have the highest F four in 2023? McNeil, really? You're fighting for your life here, and and you're you're rolling with McNeil. No, I Altuve. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I mean McNeil is not a bad answer. I was I was gonna accept that happily, but
0: most similar hitters. In terms of like career war through age 32 here, Ryan Sandberg, Hanley Ramirez, Robinson Cano, Dustin Bedroia, Craig Biggio, Derek Jeter, Michael Young, Jeter Roberto Alamo. On
1: list. It's very similar with the like home run stolen bases, batting average kind of thing um, in terms of like not, Elite in the home run, still in base, but very, very good. And then elite in the batting average department. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good crew. If Ramirez Ramirez maintained his peak, he, I mean, his peak was people forget back to back seven more seasons. Hanley Ramirez was a dude.
0: D. Strange Gordon just said Hanley, Prime Hanley was probably the most talented player
1: he's ever seen. Watching him come up as a kid, like watching legitimately, he was why I tuned in every single game. Yeah. Uh, Although that middle infield, him and Dan Uglow was electric. Um, I, that's one of the most talented dudes you're going to see. So, again, that, that is a, a fun group, and I'm I'm taking Altuve to repeat it again this coming year and continue to strengthen that Hall of Fame case for as much of the Astro haters out there, which I get. I hear you. Uh, you it's can't old. take away what this guy has done over the course of 1,578 games plus the postseason. If you want to subtract, like, Jim Bayheim style, uh, uh, 300 of those games or 400 of those games or whatever, subtract even the seasons where he allegedly cheated, I think he could still make a Hall of Fame case. So, like, you got to be honest with yourself. Like, Peter always talks about this. Like, I don't I don't like Altuve, but, bro, I can't deny the greatness there. And I think that's how every Yankee, Dodger, whatever fan should realistically look at it. Don't have to like him. Don't have to go to dinner with him. But you got to appreciate how freaking talented this guy is. I'd go to dinner with Jose Altuve. So, again, to recap...
0: Uh, India and Rogers are the two honorable mentions. Brandon Lau, 10. Labor Torres, 9. Luisa Rise 8. Ozzy Albi, 7. Six is Quetel Marte. Nico Horner is number 5. Andres Jimenez, 4. Marcus Semien, 3. Jeff McNeil, 2. And Jose Altuve is just baseball's best second baseman in Major League Baseball in 2023. I'm going to go enjoy the All-Star game. Fair? Uh, try. Enjoy. I, the, the try your best, man. I <laughs> I don't know what to tell you every link you need in the show notes. Peter and I will talk to you with another positional top 10 tomorrow.